Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the Flight School Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Turner Medlicott, and joined as always by Jonah Lossie and Adrian Walker. Welcome to our second episode of the week focused on all things college sports. Uh, and this week, for the first time, we're mainly just focused on one of those. Um, it's going to be college basketball. Uh, but before we get into the, the details, how are y'all feeling? What's your vibes uh, on the college basketball world right now? Go ahead, Jonah. Well, right before we, we, we got on air, I was cussing and yelling and all this stuff. So you guys know exactly where I'm at. But I'm actually <laughs> pretty high on this team still, despite everything. Um, I throw moral victories out the window and screen from the mountaintops, despite being fine with where this team is at, but I refuse to claim moral victories continue on. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, and, and I'll re- reiterate Jonah's stance. Uh, he said this before he went on his rant before he went on air, very even keel that that's, that's the current mood for this team. If you have any other expect, any other vibe move, whatever you're wrong, um, just, just stay even keel. We'll move forward with the season and see what happens. And I'll, I'll just sum all that up. And I'm going to say, you know, normally people say cautiously optimistic. I am cautiously realistic about this team <laughs> right now. Uh, but to get into some of the details, um, before we get into Carolina basketball specifically, we should mention and just maybe say a few words about the fact that this week marks the first time since 1961 that Kentucky Duke and UNC have all been unranked at the same time in the top 25. Um, and I stunning. feel like people it's, have recognized that, stunning. but I, I, yeah, I, I feel like people aren't like noticing that enough somehow. Like those are two, uh, sorry, three of the highest of the highest blue bloods, the cream of the crop of college basketball. And it, none of them look good <laughs> i mean when you know in my, kentucky had turned the corner they were three and own conference the sec though baby it's still hard to be three and own conference and people are like oh maybe if they can turn it around win a lot of games in a row maybe they'll actually get ranked maybe they'll push for the sec title um right when people said that they got absolutely smacked lost by 20 to, to alabama who looked like legit and are gonna probably win the um sec title and then they turned around and lost to Auburn. And <laughs> now they're three and two in conference. And I forgot where they stood overall. I think they're four and eight. Um, not good. <laughs> not good um, in, in Lexington. And then Duke have been – yeah. I'm shocked they've been fine. Um, I mean, I don't know if they'd really deserve to be unranked. I mean, five and three is not good. Uh, but Virginia Tech, I think, is a solid team in Blacksburg is never an easy place to play. Um, but Duke have just been inconsistent. They haven't really beaten anybody good yet. And it is weird to see Duke struggle so much, especially because it always seems when UNC struggles, Duke does really well and they have to rub it in her face. But this year, like we're all sad boy. Um, I think has a little high potential to get in their rough patches early and they're still only three and one in conference. So, it's just going to be fascinating to see how this season pans out because it might be one of those years that we get Gonzaga winning a national championship or, or <clears throat> Michigan or one of these teams that generally is good but goes under the radar a lot of the time. 
yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna tag much onto that uh i'm i'm waiting for us to get into the the heels specifically because i got a lot more on that i think you guys you two summed it up pretty well it, it's just it is shocking it, it it is shocking that not enough people are kind of realizing how crazy it is like 1961 is only like 30 years after basketball sort of started to become fairly mainstream um 20 years really actually so um it's just it's kind of incredible that these three teams have been this good this long and and it there hasn't been another case or another point in time where this has happened it's it's sort of the marker to me for the craziness that this sports cycle the sports season is uh, but like you said let's get into the heels uh they were one and one in the last week um which you know at average uh well we played we played well we beat a not so great um but always you know tough to play with that cowardly two three zone syracuse team um and then had the loss um against florida state um and the biggest thing from at least the syracuse game for me is that we finally saw a resurgence of the garrison brooks that we know maybe not even what we think he can be because i don't think he even played up to his potential in the syracuse game but he finally was a senior leader on the court helped us uh attack that zone and, and carve up that zone by being that that middle presence um and finally seems to have some of his swagger back he didn't follow that up with the best play in the florida state game that's but- being kind but there does seem, I think y'all could agree, maybe, maybe you don't, but I think there does seem to be a turning, there has been a turning point for Garrison's season. It feels like he's back on track, at least mentally, whether that turns into production or not. Who's to say basketball is a crazy, funky sport and this is a crazy, funky team. But based on how much we were kind of harping on him, uh, both on the pod and our own discussions, it was nice to see a little bit of a turnaround for Garrison um, this week. How, how did y'all feel? I mean, Adrian, I know you're probably not as positive on him as I am, but how did y'all feel about Garrison specifically in the past week? Well, I thought he, well go, go ahead, go ahead Jonas. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. All right, I thought he was uh, – what was important to see was his leadership and crunch time, and he actually stood up in that Syracuse game was a great representation that he is still an experienced leader because those freshmen, both the guards and the bigs looked absolutely lost against Syracuse for stretches of the game. And when Garrison came off the floor, it got really hairy, really quick. Now, you know, the reason it was even close is because buddy Aheim decided to be unnecessarily good in the first half, um, scoring up about 20 points in the first half against UNC. Uh, but, Garrison's passing and his feel for the game can't be questioned necessarily. Um, again, it's that assertiveness because we see after that, then he immediately has the next game where he only shoots five times and can't really seem to find his rhythm consistently. He's still got 12 points against FSU, but I think he's finding his steps. And what's hard is trying to take those steps without stepping on the toes 
of a Dayron Sharp who really needs his minutes because he is the most athletic player on the team. And we have some of these players really stepping up. Um, I don't think the issue came with Garrison in the FSU game. I think more than for me, the issue came with the leadership at the guard position um, from Caleb Love at times look phenomenal and then would look atrocious. Like it's his inconsistency. And I really like the kid, um, but just the ability to get that energy spark. And that's why I'm sure we'll have a whole segment on it coming up. Anthony Harris looked sensational despite not being a hundred percent. And that's the exact kind of player Caleb Love needs to be. And if he's not, Anthony Harris is going to take minutes from everybody in that backcourt. Yeah. So th- this is what I'll say. I adored the way Garrison came out in the Syracuse game. Um, I didn't, I didn't even care about production necessarily. Obviously you want him to Bruce, but it was the way he controlled the energy of the team and led the team that was really important because like Jonah said, there were times where key members of the, of the offense, Kerwin Walton, um, like players that we've kind of come to expect to play well was lost um, or, or, or was at least disturbed by the Syracuse defense and the, the Syracuse team. But Garrison was a stabilizing force and helped lead that team to victory. And then in the Florida State game, where I think I kind of disagree with you both a little bit, is I'm not less concerned about how Garrison plays on the court um, and even a little bit less concerned about like him leading by example. What I'm more concerned about is, as Jonah said, Anthony Harris looked phenomenal. But part of the reason why he looked phenomenal is because he was he he helped control the energy and he stabilized emotions. Um, there were very like there were multiple times while Anthony Harris wasn't on the court that it looked like the game was getting out of hand, right? And and Florida State was about to run away with it. And then we bring in Anthony Harris, and Anthony Harris would kind of kind of calm the waters and and he would show up. And while that is guard play like just in terms of initiating offense and controlling pace and flow and whatever that also has to do with, with how you, how you act and how your energy is portrayed on the court as a leader. And I feel like this year is different than last year in which Garrison, when he shows up, like he showed up against Syracuse and he acts like, or at least he, he, he portrays, this ability that he is the most experienced player on the court he's there and he's and he's getting minutes for a reason um it it helps calm stabilize and and helps the team play better I mean Caleb Love had a pretty good game against Syracuse as well I think that was partly product of Garrison stepping up and kind of taking a bit of that leadership responsibility away from Caleb Love he didn't have to worry about it he could just go play his game um and then in the Florida State game he kind of backed off of that a little bit and, and I didn't understand why. So I was pretty, I wasn't frustrated with Garrison, but I was, I was disappointed because I felt like he had taken a major step in terms of responsibility and the Syracuse game and then kind of took a step back. I um, I think one thing is with that is that he, he Garrison Brooks is perfect for playing Syracuse. And I think that's something that is unique 
for Garrison's style of play. Just like Kennedy Meeks was perfect for playing against Syracuse. They know how to find those pockets at the top of the two, three zone and at the top of that key and really facilitate the offense, not just guessing assists. Cause that's not the job there. It's to get the ball and work the offense and get shooters open for the third pass. Like that's why he, he only had two assists, but he was the best passer of the game for UNC. Um, I think the, uh, the only thing I can look at the Florida State game, not even talking about Garrison, but as a team as a whole, if you want to try to find moral victories in it, the only – the main thing is that Florida State are just in electrifying form when it comes to shooting. I don't know what is going on in Tallahassee, but they made their first 25 free throws and shot 50% from three. <laughs> like, I don't know what – like, I don't care who you're playing. Like, we, we probably win that game if they're an shooting average, you know, but they, they hadn't, they didn't miss any shots their last game against NC state either. Um, but going on top of that, despite them shooting that well, they also had 22 points off UNC turnovers. And that's really what lost them the game. It, it's you'd get all this momentum, you'd hit some threes and then you turn the ball over and they'd shoot a three. And all of a sudden it's a 10 point game again. And they could not close that gap. And what was so, so frustrating. I think about, that is is that step because you can look at the turnover number um and it wasn't great but it wasn't the most you know abhorrent thing that you've seen from the heels as far as turnovers go this this season but it was it felt like every single time that we had a turnover it was a fast break layup or a fast break three like an easy one i'm not just talking about like they got a transition bucket like wide open three on one two on one scenarios um, and that's how you kill yourself as a team, especially when the other team is hot like that. Um, cause you can make those mistakes and survive and win when the other team isn't shooting 26 of 27 from the line. Um, it's going to be really hard to beat a team when they're doing that anyway. Uh, and so you can't feed into that by making your own mistakes and you especially can't feed into that when you allow those mistakes to be made at crucial moments that lead, um, to points. Um, and I, I think we've said a, a lot about Anthony Harris um, just returning, and I think we'll we'll loop back around to him. But I want to hear y'all's perspective on on the backcourt, the backcourt play against Florida State because it felt like they were making these mistakes, um, but it also felt like at times it flashes. It was their best play of the season. And I say that because RJ has sort of I mean he won ACC freshman player of the week he's sort of emerged from his slump Caleb has been inconsistent and atrocious at times all year but has finally seemed to find his groove he's hitting threes um Anthony Harris returning is helpful um so how do we how do we get the best of that or do you think that was our our backcourt's best play even um I don't think it was the best play in terms of just Overall, I think R.J. Davis probably had his best game, I think. And Anthony Harris was a huge injection of energy and talent. The problem was the Caleb Love. He was playing amazing, and he turned and he did it to himself. He went from having his best game to another bad game, in my opinion, where you see he has 11, a point, 11 points. He has no assists as a point guard. He... Uh, yeah, he hit he hit uh, three threes, but he finished four ten from the field. Um, and it's not like oh, well, he was a standard four ten. No, he hit those shots and he looked great. 
for like about 10 minutes. And then he was the opposite. He wasn't good and then average. He was good and then really bad. He was hurting his team when he was playing bad. And it's different whenever, you know, I say some interesting folks like, I don't know, Kenny Williams or Marcus Page, some of these guys who played for UNC in the past. When they're having bad shooting performances, you almost don't notice because they're so good on the defensive end or because they can know how to facilitate the offense so well. Caleb Love is either elevating the offense or tanking it, and he needs to learn how to operate somewhere in between when he doesn't isn't quite hitting his shot it's he just does not seem to facilitate very well and i think bringing in anthony harris more and more as he gets healthy is only going to help him learn how to mature and realize he doesn't have to carry this team um and if he tries he's only going to hurt it yeah so i'll follow that up with i think it it's a little I don't think you can make the argument that the backcourt had its best game of the season without involving Anthony Harris in that discussion. Um, I think he was too integral to how much RJ improved uh, to, to say like, Oh, the the backcourt had their best game of the season, despite if you ignore Anthony Harris, no, the backcourt had its best game of the season because Anthony Harris got involved um and and that'll kind of move us into the anthony harris territory but i think it was also pushback against that sorry i'd say my pushback against it the reason i don't think it was is because yes anthony harris was that good but he played eight of 40 minutes he was that good for those eight minutes dude only played eight minutes and otherwise they were very hit or miss the rest of the game and when he was in there, they were electrifying. I think Caleb hit two of his three threes when he was Anthony Harris was in the game. Anthony Harris came in, had five points, three assists, a steal. Like he was all over the dang place. But he only played eight minutes. And that's why I was so excited to see him. Cause if he ever gets to a point in the season where he can play 25, 30 minutes, okay, we're hitting our peak potential again. And I think our best play is coming up in the next three games. But I think it was a flash versus the actuality of the whole game. Yeah, I, I don't think I mean to say that like this is the best the backcourt can be because obviously it wasn't. We lost because of the mistakes of the backcourt. Um, but I also, I just, I don't know, watching the game, our front court had a pretty terrible game um, all around. I mean, Garrison was the most productive, and even to his standards, you didn't feel like he had a great game. Armando only played 17 minutes. Dayron was, nah, he was inconsistent. And so a lot of your production and points came from, from the backcourt. And so you felt like if they could take those flashes and combine it with good um, front court play, maybe that reaches the potential of, of where this team can be. Um, but I think you're also absolutely right. Um, Anthony Harris, especially as we look forward for the next three games is going to lead a lot of where this team moves forward. Um, I don't know. I I know Adrian, you specifically had some pushback against this um, after the game where people were saying we should start Anthony Harris based on how he played. I know I absolutely disagree with that. I know Adrian, you disagree with that. Uh, for me, it's simply that in the 
short term future, dude is not ready to get starter minutes yet. I mean, he just came off of injury and yeah, he looks great, but you also could tell like he only played eight minutes because he could only handle about eight minutes because he was just he wasn't in playing shape yet. So that's number one. And then number two, we've seen from the Syracuse game and from uh, a point when Anthony Harris wasn't in the game against Florida State that when that player is not in the game, there's no stabilizing force for the team. So if Garrison's going to be our quote-unquote stabilizing force in the starting lineup, then we need Anthony Harris on the bench so that he can stabilize the team from a guard play perspective coming off the bench. Um, I don't know exactly what role that leads into, and maybe y'all can speak more to that, but that's sort of my thoughts about where we can use Anthony Harris moving forward. Uh, I personally don't agree. Um, I agree that he shouldn't start right now. Um, He's just simply put not healthy enough. I mean, I don't think, I think we should continue to limit his minutes. He missed an entire year with an ACL. He's been hurt. Uh, he got here, lost his um, time, his senior and junior years because of injury. Obviously, he shouldn't start right now. But if he can work to 95, 100%, he is the most electrifying guard we have, like whenever he wants to be at all cylinders. And we have to wait to see what he can do at that level. But I think him as a two in certain games absolutely should be our number one option. Um, if he can, again, he might've been a flash in the pan. He might actually have a really bad year for here on out. I hope not. Um, and the main thing is, I hope he stays healthy, but I think when you have a player that caliber, you could just see how the offense operated. Whenever we, we were talking about Syracuse, that was the first time that they had scored 10 points by the under, by the six, 60 minute timeout all season. First time we scored 10 points in the first four minutes of the game. That should not happen. This is a Carolina team that is known for pace and scrappy play. And that's exactly what Anthony Harris can do. And he, I think he has a level of maturity about him just mentally, not even in his play because he hasn't played much. I think if he gets to a point to where he can start, he should because of what he can, the type of dynamic player he is. That also means he'd be sensational off the bench, but I think it should, you should be okay switching your lineup here and there and trying to see what he can do as a starter. Yeah, so Turner basically took what I tweeted three days ago and elaborated on it. So um, I'll, I'll bring up one other point uh, that I, I, I make, kind of made up on the spot, which is I am a little worried about bringing Anthony Harris on too quickly as a starter, considering the progress we've made with starting lineups the past like three, four games. Um I think if you replace Leaky, because the two players currently that Anthony Harris would replace in the starting lineup would be either Kerwin Walton or Leaky Black. And I, I would argue that those two have done the most in the last two weeks um, to kind of solidify a reason to start them um, than any other player on the team. So I, I would be hesitant right now to start Anthony Harris um, in the next game or even the next two games. I think moving down the line, I agree with Jonah. I, I would hesitate to even – I would hesitate to consider not putting Anthony Harris in the starting lineup. He's too dynamic of a player 
And we've seen that Garrison by himself currently, at least, is struggling to stabilize the team and and the on-court chemistry struggles because there's too much immaturity. So adding more maturity is a very easy solution by adding Anthony Harris to the starting lineup. Um, so I think moving- an interesting thing is is oh sorry, I was just saying the last thing I'll say on Anthony Harris. I think an interesting thing to see what he can do at full strength is that the biggest issue you've had with Caleb Love is that he's a combo guard. Well, so is Anthony Harris. I'm not saying he can be the best point guard in the ACC, but given how much much how much more dynamic and less spastic Anthony Harris played with, I would like to see maybe in three weeks, whenever he's healthy, see what Anthony Harris can do at point guard. Give more handling handling duties to Leakey and have Anthony Harris, Kerwin Walton, and Leakey be the backcourt. And let Caleb Love and RJ Davis be the ultimate spark plugs off the bench. And if they make mistakes, it's okay. If you make mistakes like that so consistently as a starting point guard, you're never going to hit your peak. I'm just interested. I'd be interested to see what he could do at point, given that they're all kind of three to the same position. Um, I, I love that take. Um, that, that was kind of where I was going to lead to, which is I think Anthony Harris currently is the best point guard on the team. It is going to take time to, to get ramp up his activity, get him back in game shape, et cetera. And you don't want to necessarily destroy Caleb Love's confidence either by letting him, him control the team for two-thirds of the season and then saying, all right, you know what, you're getting replaced. Um, but at the same time, it's not like he's getting replaced by another freshman or anything like that. No, it's we had a veteran player who was hurt. He's returned. And he has earned, and Roy Williams said, literally said, the players earn their minutes in the game in practice. Uh, and if Anthony Harris outperforms Caleb Love in practice and, and shows that he wants to, to lead this team, I could see Roy putting um, Anthony Harris in a point guard, just, just at least as an experiment, at least to try it. I think Even it, if he never get go ahead, Turner. I was going to say, I think it depends on – where in the season we can start giving Anthony Harris starter minutes, right? So I think if it gets the, you know, if it's in the next three weeks, then yeah, maybe. But if it's by the, you know, mid end of February, then at that point, you got to have your lineup and your rotation set thinking for, for tournament time, whether that's. Yeah. That's assuming we make the tournament. Well, I'm thinking tournament time, just even ACC tournament. I'm not even, who knows if we're going to make the the big dance, but I mean, you want to have, your lineup solidified. And I think we all know that. Um, but I agree. I think Anthony Harris, if he plays like he does, he like he did against Florida State, is our best point guard option. Um, the key to me is how do you integrate that with R.J. Davis, with Caleb Love? Um, Roy has not put them on the court at the same time, barely in weeks. Um, with starting, you know, with starting Anthony Harris change that and does Roy want that um because that might be what that includes it might you know if Anthony Harris is started you could rotate Caleb and RJ in and out but it also might mean that the two of them have to play together um that's pretty an experienced guard so they wouldn't they wouldn't because sorry to interrupt but you still have Andrew Playtech that the the first two that roll off the line if you had those three on the bench between Caleb Love RJ Davis and and Andrew Playtech would e- would either be 
Love and Playtech or Davis and Playtech. I don't think Roy would would I don't think Roy would be put in a bind where he has to play those two at the same time. I don't think for the majority of the rotations, but I think RJ and Caleb are going to get more minutes than Playtech. So you're going to have a, a period of time. I I don't I'm not saying y'all are y'all are wrong or that's the wrong solution, but I think it's just it's not as simple as going. Anthony Harris is is the better option. Let's just stick him in. But I think I think y'all know that. Oh no, absolutely. And I think it, it'll. I think what we'll see is I think Playtech will lose a few more minutes. Um, I think, and I don't think uh, Davis and Love have to lose more than a couple minutes a piece, because you you take away say four minutes from Playtech, three each from Love and uh, RJ, and then all of a sudden you have ten extra minutes or so you hand those to Harris and he's at 18, 20 minutes a game. And I think that's where he needs to be at until he, he as a starter, because that's what you see RJ Davis, Dayron Sharp, they're playing about 20 minutes a game. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens if he can stay healthy. I'll say this, even if he doesn't start, Anthony Harris is going to be the reason this is a tournament team. I agree. His dynamics and his ability to invigorate offense. If he can stay healthy, he will be the X factor in what makes this team a top 25 team. And I have, I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, I have a perfect segue off of that because um, I after, after the game, before we were on this podcast, Jonah was talking at the very beginning about how he was ranting and raving. Uh, it's because a majority of, of Carolina fans seemed like they were they were taking a moral victory, quote unquote, um, from the Florida State game. And I was very pissed and um, learned before the podcast that Jonah was also very pissed about about this idea. When I, I tried to calm myself and, and three days ago after the Florida State game, I, I tweeted out, I'm going to read it specifically because I can't really say it much better than I tweeted it. Um, I'm not taking a moral victory from that game. We're too far into the season to be taking moral victories, but I am moving forward with the expectation that this team is better than their record shows. Um, and that that's kind of the field that that second part, the expectation that this team is better than its record shows. That's what Anthony Harris and his, his dynamism brings. Um, I expect this team to play better moving forward and I'm going to, expect more the more that Anthony Harris plays um, or the more minutes that he gets. I, I really don't like the idea that we're taking more victories this far into the um, season, but I can move forward with so the they're expectation. They're not a top 10 team. Yeah, that, I can move forward issue. with the like, expectation. They're not that good. They're not even yeah. a ranked team at that. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, that's my issue. Florida State is a good ACC team I think they're a tournament team sure but if Carolina is trying to be a tournament team I mean right now we're kind of sitting on the bubble you can't really be like oh hey we played good but lost against a a tournament team especially if you don't rattle off wins against who you're supposed to to beat Um, we have a week coming up where we're playing three games that Honestly, I know I know Pitt has a good record in the ACC right now, but they're not as good as their record shows. We have three games that if you're Carolina basketball and you're a tournament team, 
You have to win. You have to win. You have to win. If you want to take a moral victory, if you want to take a moral victory from the Florida State game, you have to win the next three. And that was that's exactly what I said to the boys before the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Like I don't necessarily agree with the moral victory either, but I'll be okay with a moral victory if you play like you're supposed to. If you play like you're supposed to, like you did against Florida State, and then some because they didn't not necessarily play that great, especially the front court, like you guys mentioned. Yeah, you should win the next three. And no, they shouldn't be close games either. That's the other issue. It's like, yeah, um, but that was that was another thing that made me kind of annoyed is pe- people were happier about the loss of Florida State than they were about three consecutive wins. And it was just really confusing to me. It's like, I know we played better, but the wins don't, losses don't really do much for you and wins don't really do much for you unless you're actually pushing forward. So it'll be really fascinating to see especially now kind of grinding into the season, just a brief kind of look at the ACC. We saw a power flip (laughs) on uh, Saturday where we had the likes of like Clemson. We're not sure what Clemson were. Well, Clemson got beat by Virginia by 35 points. They beat – Virginia has scored more more, – games with 80 more points than they have in their entire team's history pretty much this season. And um, we also saw Louisville, who's one of these teams. They're like, they were second. Louisville lost to Miami. Okay. We got the team to beat now. It's Virginia. We kind of knew that going into the year, but now it's Virginia. It's not even close. Like Virginia are the team to beat. Virginia Tech are going to be up there too. Um, And so you have your kind of standard now. UNC should be beating every team outside of those top two. And that includes FSU. Um, they should not have lost that game, in my opinion. So they can't lose. They have no excuses for the rest of the season, in my opinion. Um, and, and I'd be interested to see what goes on. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing, too, right? When you, when you have your normal Carolina team that's, let's face it, not a danger of missing the tournament, you can lose to a, a Florida State and have a moral victory because you know – when you're going to face Wake Forest, NC State, and Pitt, which we're facing in the next week, you know that you're probably winning all of those games. It's just this year. You, you, Turner. Turner, Jesus you, you guaranteed victory over NC State. You're doing it again. <laughs> I'm on. not. I, I said in a normal year, you expect to win those games. And if you're going to be a tournament I team, know, but you, you, did, you did this year, though. You did three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when you, and when you drop those games like we've done this year, you can't really take a moral victory against a good Florida State team because if we go around this week and we're one and two against Wake Forest, NC State, and Pitt, then what was it all for? You know, what I'm are we building? I'm still salty about your Wolfpack take. I'm still salty about that because it's just. You know, and then you had the gall to be excited after the Syracuse game when I stuck my fat neck out there and said we were going to beat Syracuse. And you're like, I don't know. And then you hid in the corner after the NC State game. I'm, I'm sick of the hypocrisy, Turner. I'm just Look, mad. I'm just I'm calling it as as I as I see it. And I didn't say anything I didn't need to say right then and there. Well, game recognized game, and you're looking a little unfamiliar. Touche. Y'all have y'all have anything else that y'all want to say about this basketball team before we uh, we wrap it up? 
Uh, no, I just hope they get a little bit more consistent. I, I would like to see don't, some consistently. I, I, I would like to see some um, consistency moving forward. I think it, uh, what we can expect to see, I think really comes in. It'll be the night this podcast released, releases. UNC needs to batter Wake Forest. They can't have a five-point win against Wake Forest. Again, going back to moral victories, it's time to turn it on, and it's time to win, rattle off five or six in a row, or you know, nine out of ten, something like that, a real streak. Um, I I agree that this team is better than the record, and they need to start showing it because you got a three and five Wake team who is very beatable. You have NC State, you have Pitt coming up. You need to win all three of those games, and you need to win at least two of them convincingly. And that's where I'm going to leave it. That's that's like literally what I was trying to say like five minutes ago. But it's cool. It's cool. I'm not. I'm sorry. just saying. I'm just saying that's what I'm leaving it with. Is now it's time to like, it is call up time now. Like, no, you I can't. I, 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 I agree. Yeah, you can't right. be close anymore. Kind of thing. Can't be close. Got to got to turn up our game. Uh, but that's gonna be it from us uh, for this episode of the uh, Flight School Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at flight underscore pod. And have a great week. We'll see you next week. See you. Peace.